0: Good morning, security gang, and welcome to another episode of the CISO Talk Podcast.
1: I've got a very, very special one here today. This guest, for those that have been fans of the show from day one, you may remember him. He's one of my first guests ever on the CISO Talk Podcast. He was, at the time, the CISO for the Georgia Department of Revenue. That's right, the people that ask you for tax money. We don't like them, but we definitely loved him. Wes Knight will be joining the show here in just a moment. Wes is retired, mentoring in the industry He's also doing some consulting work here and there, and um, he's just been a great mentor and a friend to so many CISOs here in the Atlanta community, and I figured his voice should be heard beyond, beyond in Atlanta and beyond. And so with that being said, I'm going to bring him on the show here in just a moment, but before I do that, please make sure to subscribe to the show. Find us on your favorite podcast listening platform by looking up CISO Talk. Give us a five-star rating. And follow, go to our YouTube channel at CyberHub Podcast. You can catch all the latest content there, including our daily show, Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern, live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. You can also find it on your favorite podcast listening platform by looking up the CyberHub Podcast. And now, without further ado, let me bring Wes onto the show. Y'all know what time it is. It's CISO Talk Time. From the CyberHub Bunker and Studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar.
0: Wes, what's happening? Hey man. It is always good to see. You, buddy.
1: It's You know, it's so great to have you on the show. I'm so excited for today's episode. So i got to tell you, Wes, um, we've been planning this for quite some time. I think it took three steak dinners to get this uh, on the books. Thank you to all the vendors that paid for our steak dinners in those three <laughs> steak dinners <laughs> to, to get us here today. Um, uh, Wes, for our audience who may not know who you are, would you mind giving them just a little background on... Who is the legendary West Knight that we hear about so often in Atlanta?
0: Well, thanks, James. Um, I've been in it since 1979. I am as old as I look. Um, I kind of backed into information security because in 79 information security wasn't a thing. Um, And as it became a thing, uh, my clients that I had started asking me questions. I started learning more, started trying to do work for them that they needed. And before long, it was a full-time occupation. And uh, eventually I went to work for the state. As you just mentioned, I was with the uh, Department of Revenue as their CISO for a number of years and retired in February of 2020, just before the pandemic broke loose. And I've been hiding in my house here ever since, um, doing consulting work. A lot of the work I do is on Zoom. I do. I work for uh, Paige Needling with Needling Worldwide. I work for her as her CISO and as uh, her director of government sector businesses. And when I'm not working for her and for my wife, then I <laughs> do a lot of mentoring, coaching. Um, I run a, not a podcast, but I have a campfire call. I do once a month with a bunch of people. We just discuss different things, but it's fits kind of under my mentoring coaching roles that I enjoy so much.
1: Yeah. Um, you know what they say when you retire, you leave one boss and get a new one, only you've never realized how long you've had this boss for, um, until you retire, well,
0: right? What what I found out, James, was my wife was keeping track of all those things. I said, Honey, when I have time I'll do that. Now that I'm retired, she thinks I have time to do all those things. So um, right, that list- we've been very and we've been, James, uh, in May this year, I've been married 50 years. Wow. Uh, and so she, had, you know, she has quite an extensive list. Thank you, sir.
1: So let me ask you this. Before we get started on a show and talk about mentoring, I know that for a lot of us, you know, um, relationships are difficult, hard, and we, we obviously know the, the divorce rate. Right? We obviously know the burnout and how careers can sometimes interfere in personal life and lead to the dissolution of marriage and families. What's your secret for 50 years?
0: Well, it's in one word, I guess, commitment. We just were committed to each other. Um, and we both try to meet the other one's needs. Marriage is not a 50, 50 deal. I hear people say that it's at some point it's a hundred zero. And at some point it's zero and a hundred. It, it, it just depends on what the needs are. And you just have to help meet your, the needs of your mate. Yeah. I-
1: I like that. I think I think it was Steve Harvey that I heard say something like this. Another local Atlanta figure, right, who said marriage is a hundred and a hundred. It's not fifty fifty. You got to give a hundred percent of yourself, and they've got to give a hundred percent of themselves to make yeah. it work. If you give fifty fifty, then there's a reason why you're, you know, breaking up after a while.
0: Yeah, and as a CISO, and then even before that, when I had my own business, you've 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 been in both of those spots. Um, there are days the job sucks it a lot of you yep. Uh, and, and, you know, your spouse understands that and helps you with that. And then there are days when it doesn't suck at a lot of you. And so you, you return the favor. My wife teaches. Um, and when she gets done teaching a class, sometimes she's really worn out. And so I, I try to, you know, I'll fix dinner that night or something, you know, just try to, to help her. So it's a, uh, it's definitely give and take.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a there's an there's a toll. And, and, you know, I I love how this podcast has started, right? Because we often talk about the responsibilities around, you know, leadership positions, especially the CISO title, the coveted CISO or CSO title. But there's there's significant uh, ramifications to this position. I mean, I've talked about it frequently. Right. And in in my last role, and I think you remember, I I think for an entire year, no one saw me or heard of me unless it was on one of my podcasts. I just I was unavailable. Um, You know, being a CISO at at a startup was taking every single free minute of my time. Now I feel like, you know, I'm I'm balancing that out, but it's definitely a challenge. You know, you, you mentor a lot of people that are trying to get into the CISO and CSO role. You obviously have your monthly call. But what would you tell someone who says, why should I even become a CISO anymore? I can go become a VP somewhere and just lay in the background. Why even try to be a CISO role when you hear the burnout, you know, an average CISO lasts 18 months in their role, right? Very rarely do you see people make it, you know, multi-year, the 20-year CISOs don't exist, the 10-year CISOs don't exist, the five-year CISOs are, you know, you and I can probably name it. Yeah um, the people that have been there, you know, that, that's not a job guarantee. It's not being a CFO. You can be in a job for 10 years, being a COO, a CIO, you can be in a company for 15 years and still make all the wrong decisions and still be there. So, you know,
0: why be a CISO? What do you tell people? Well, two things. First one is you may not want to be a CISO. Um, there's a lot of stress to that job. And if you, if you can't handle stress, you don't want to be a CISO. Just do something else. Um, I, I had a woman that worked for me named Jan when I retired from Department of Revenue, and I called her in and asked her. She'd been the team lead for our team almost the whole time she'd been there. And I asked her, I said, when I, when I leave in a couple of months, do you want to be the CISO? And she just laughed at me. She said, I've watched you do this job for 10 years. I don't want that kind of pressure. So even though she could have been a CISO, she realized it didn't fit the way she wanted to live her life. And so she chose to do something else. Um, That's one thing you have to you have to think about. The second thing is you can't do information security. You like a hobby. It you you, it's you got to feel it. It's got to be in your heart. You got to want to do information security. You and I have had this conversation before, James. If you're doing information security because of the money, you're not going to last. You know, go do something else. But if you do information security because you want to help protect people, mostly data to a second secondary degree, and you want to do things right and make sure things are done correctly, then it can be a good job for you. But you have to understand the stress that can come with that. And you've you've got to be able to deal with that. Um, And a lot of people can't do that. And and if they can't, it's it's the wrong choice for them.
1: What are some ways you dealt with stress? I mean, obviously, being a CISO in a government agency, let's talk about the inherent stress that comes with the job. You represent this almost a single source of revenue for the state of Georgia. You also represent the department that has to give people money back once a year in what is considered to be the most profitable tax scheme in, in history, right? Kind of beating people to their tax returns and getting their refunds. Yep, yep. Right? And a government agency with no budget. Right. Or very little budget or, you know, the scrum budget that you have to deal with. How would you deal with all that stress? And the reason I asked this question in the way I did for for people listening is because it's one thing to be a CISO at a big Fortune 100, 500 or 1000 company. You've got the money typically. So you're able to really kind of stave off some of the stress that comes off with when you're in a government agency. I had Dean on recently from the CISO over at Marta. You know, we were talking about. So, you know. I'd love to hear your, your idea. How'd you deal with the stress?
0: I do pretty good with stress just in general. You know, I always thought at the end of the day, nobody shot at me today and I'm going to go home and be with my wife this evening. Uh, and that always made things, you know, pretty good, but I built a good, I built a good team around me. We, we were able to get the job done. Um, Pretty reasonably, Um, we did not have a huge budget, as you just mentioned. Um, I was uh, pretty good at being able to position our needs with the business. So not presenting a problem like, oh my God, this is gonna cost us $10 billion if this happens. But going to the business and explaining what was going on and kind of letting them come up with their own conclusions with all the facts and because that's really where the money came from was the business unit um we didn't really have a dedicated information security budget we we just had money allocated to us from different sources and the business units the, the the units that brought in the taxes um would would help support us for things when we went to them with a um, a potential problem uh, without using all the, the geek speak that, you know, most, most of us use all the time, but presenting it in a problem, in a position and using words that the business would understand uh, and, and helping them come to a conclusion of, of the risk of that from a business perspective, we were able to get the money to do projects that I, I, I think we wouldn't be able to do just if we relied on the regular budget system to work through. Um, but a big part of it, again, was trusting my team um, and, you know, relying on their ability to get stuff done for me. Uh, it it kept me from having to, to micromanage, which to me is a big stress increase. If I'm having to micromanage everybody and look over the shoulder all the time, there's a lot of stress involved with that. I trusted my team. I had a good a good crew working for me. And that relieved me of a lot of the stress. They kind of took some of that off of me. And my, my business became really working with the business, um, you know, with the the other folks with, with the, you know, like the CEO and the uh, CIO and the CFO and all those other C's and working with them and the business directors, um, trying to anticipate what they were going to be doing and, and, you know, get a running start on it and getting them to help me with that. The business units helped me out a lot because they would sit down with us and, and tell me what their plans were, what they were looking to do next year. Uh, And we could, in some cases, kind of get a running start on that. So we weren't reacting. If you got to do something tomorrow, there's a lot of stress involved with that. If i got a year to plan it out, that that takes a lot of the stress out as well.
1: You know, just navigating that for some people, I'm sure, and increase the level of anxiety and stress, Uh, everything you just explained. You know, you look at, kind of the next generation of leaders we're trying to kind of fill our seats right at some point we're all you know gonna move on to bigger and better things i i strongly believe that the path of a cso today is 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 three within an org meaning what's next in the career and i don't know if you agree with this or not is either you become a cto because no i mean i'd rather have a cto with a security background than without any You either become a COO because you're such a good project manager, you're very operational, you understand the needs of the business very well, that there's a natural progression to potentially have a CEO who has a tech and security background under a CEO who's more sales, marketing, and finance-based, or you go into a compliance role if you come, you know, you and I have met a lot of CISOs who are lawyers by trade who ended up in the CISO role because people looked at it as in, in the legal lens rather than the technology or risk lens of it. So you could potentially see that. I mean, you, you, I've, I've heard people make the argument for chief risk officer and others, but I just feel like unless you've got a finance back, very few people with finance go into security, very few people with a finance yeah. background go into security. I think those are the common. What are your thoughts on kind of the CISO progression there? Do you think that's a legitimate path?
0: I think the three things you mentioned make a lot of sense. Um, my role, although I am still a CISO, I've moved more into the compliance side. What I do for Paige over at Needling is um, manage the government side of her business, where we, the folks who work for me basically are doing compliance assessments. So we'll look at uh, at CMMC, NIST, the other side of the business looks at ISO stuff. Uh, But that was a a logical place for me to go. And several of the folks that work for me are, are retired CISOs. Um, so they, you know, they understand compliance, they understand risk, um, and, and they're able to give our clients really good advice on how to meet the requirements of, you know, NIST or CMMC or whatever.
1: As we're mentoring that next generation, you know, we talked a little bit and, and you've shared a little bit about why you even become a CI. So we talked about a little bit about the career progression, but what's the right path or is there a path? To become a CISO?
0: There's, there's no right path. Um, like I said, I backed into it. I, I've had so many jobs that had the word engineer in them over time a network engineer, a security engineer, system engineer, uh, all kind of jobs that were technical in nature. And knowing those things helped me be a CISO, but um, the CISO job really needs to, the, the, the people need to not be so focused on the technical side and be more focused on the business side. One of the, one of the things I finally realized a few years ago. Um, but I've met people who were business analysts, who became very security conscious and, and made uh, good CISOs. Uh, I've known a lot of people with different, different paths and careers, but when they got in information security like me, when I started doing it, it was like, man, this is, this is where I need to be. This is, this is my my work. Home is information security. It just clicked, and I, I know we've talked about that before. You gotta, you know, you you really gotta feel that. You you it's not it's not something you can do. You know, eight to five, just to get a paycheck. You, you're not gonna do a good job if that's your motivation, because um, some days you you know, I mean, I've, I've worked forty eight straight hours before as a CISO. Um, I don't like to do that. I prefer to go home at five o'clock. But, you know, sometimes that's not what the job needs. And you've got to be willing to do that. And especially with the government, you don't get paid overtime. <laughs> you know, you, Here's your salary. You put in 48 hours. Well, thanks very much for that. But, you know, here's the same check you got last week. Um, it can't be about the money, uh, you know, and CISOs, as a rule, are underpaid. Uh, You know that even and and every every pretty much everybody in the government probably underpaid, but even in the private sector, um, when you start talking about salaries of CISOs, uh, I I doubt any of this any of them get what they're worth.
1: Yeah, I'll you know, I'll I'll agree with that because while we're recording this, uh, I've been on you know, my last role, the company went bankrupt on my birthday in November, and I've spent the last you know, four months looking for for a new role and it's you know i've had a bunch of offers come through and a lot of them are lowball offers not the money Mm -hmm. that we should be making as cisos or or csos at all it's not even within the matrix of an average you know um salary per organization sometimes i don't know where organizations come up with the compensation structure it's 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 very fascinating you know i want to ask you another question you and i were talking about this before the show but I was having a conversation with several of our peers over the last you know, few days. And one common theme that's kind of occurred to me as part of my journey of writing the book, uh, my, my own book has been that the CISO team is probably the most diverse group in the entire org, simply because of the areas of responsibility and knowledge you need to have no other team. I say this, with a slight of tongue, meaning I could be wrong in some organizations, but I think as a, we're going to use this as an 80-20 rule. And 80% of the time, the security team in the organization is probably the most diverse team in the org. How did you as a system, manage that? How do you mentor others to manage that kind of diversity of knowledge, neurodiversity of skills? There's so many different aspects to, to having a team that's just Across the entire business spectrum,
0: almost. Well, I, I did. The team that worked for me was very diverse, and, and we we had different roles. We had you have to have somebody writing policies. You have to have somebody running, um, you know, the different tools you've got. You you know, I, I had a forensics guy that worked for me. We, you know, we had uh, in our in our world we had state and federal auditors we dealt with. Uh, all the time and so somebody kind of had to be in charge of that and so you ended up with a bunch of people doing different work but at the same time I always tried to make sure we had at least you know somebody had a backup so the person that was maybe did the policy writing also knew how to run one of the the scanners or something so um, you have to let people uh, you have to make sure people know what their mission is, what, what their job is, what they need to accomplish. You need to make sure they're trained for it. They need to make sure you keep folks off their back. But same token, when you have a diverse group like that and you pull them all in into a problem-solving mode, you get a lot of different viewpoints on something and, and you get a much more holistic look at the problem. They're not all looking at the problem like with my background. You know, they all had had different ways of viewing things and they would see things and they would think things that would have never occurred to me. And so you 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 take advantage of that. It's not a it's not a bad thing. It's not a hindrance. It, you, you need to make sure you use it to uh, make your team more efficient. Make sure the knife is sharp when you're going to work. Um, I, I always joke a lot. I'm, I'm sometimes I'm, a, I'm just a tool, but I want to be the sharpest chisel that there is. You know, I don't want to I don't want to be a dull a dull tool. And the folks that work for me, that's how we approached it. We looked at it as we were challenging each other sometimes, so we'd be sharpening each other, but we got a holistic view of the problem. So I don't view I don't see that as a a negative. It's it's a real positive. I agree with you. I think the security team as as a rule, maybe it's 80%, maybe it's more than that, is the most diverse team, but that's a good thing for us. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. And I think we're using the word, I want to be very mindful with how we're using the word diverse, right? Talking about a diverse set of skill and neurodiversity, right? I think neurodiversity here is very, very critical simply because you, you need a bunch of engineers who think different uh, hmm. than architects, who think different, than analysts, who think different than compliance, who think different than GRC, who act different than, you know, CISOs or ISOs or BISOs or whatever the case may be. There's a slew, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the things I've been working on a kind of a side project and have some people helping me with it is kind of mapping out all the different disciplines that exist in cybersecurity to roles to vendors and what i want to do is identify my my, my end goals to uh, you know twofolds. one provide some sort of directory that talks about different tools for different roles so that it helps hr folks and hiring managers kind of go what are the typical tools used in this space and if we're operating these tools what cross-function tools would someone need so that the you know the job posting is a bit more accurate in terms of tools and mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, and, and then the other part is, I want to get rid of every single Gartner made-up category on planet Earth. I'm very clear I, with I, my goals.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that.
1: <laughs> I just, I feel like there's so much noise, so many categories that we see pop up, and and CISOs are constantly overflowed. You know, we're, we're constantly have information thrown at us that i think is very very critical um and some of it is critical and some of it is fluff how did you dissect what were your best practices around identifying critical stuff that you need to know to vendor fluff or gartner fluff
0: from from folks like you you know i I, i'm i'm a big believer in network not not ip network but talking to folks like you and Dean, you mentioned earlier, you know, Vladimir, different, different folks that have been part of, part of my circle for years. And if I'm looking at a problem and I'm thinking, you know, I need, there's gotta be a solution for this. I, I, you know, I may, I may call you or, or, you know, one of the other guys and say, you ever hit this problem, what worked or what didn't work. And, and that helped me um, rule out more things than you would believe I guess because you could just knock out probably ninety percent of the of the junk that that falls on your desk or fall your inbox because it is junk and folks who have encountered that problem and have hit a solution that worked uh, that gives me a point or not I may not want that exact tool but at least I have an idea of the type of tool that'll follow, that'll solve that problem or the or Maybe it's not a tool, but you know, maybe it's a skill set I need to go out and find. Uh, but uh, the, the the networking, the the friends, the folks that I know and I talk to on a, on a regular basis, um, or sometimes irregular, uh, are, are good. Uh, that's that's the best answer to that question in my mind. Is use your network, use your friends, find out what worked and what didn't work from them. A wise man, a, a smart man, learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from other people's mistakes. And I, 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 I try to be wise. I try to learn from my mistakes and other people's mistakes and, and on the positive side what worked for them as well.
1: Yeah. There's a, a lot of that takes place sometimes around a steak dinner and a table that <laughs> yep. can typically save you probably months of headaches. Uh, if you're just there, we, you know, what are, we're almost at time here. So I want to be mindful of that you mentor a lot of people getting into this industry. What would you say are some of the top tips you would give someone who's listening, who says, I want to become a CISO. Wes, what should I start doing today in order to build my path to the role?
0: Okay. Well, again, first, make sure it's really what you want to do. I'm not talking about information security in general, but CISO, that's gotta be something you really want to do. But the, the more diverse background that you have, um, I had an advantage coming up because I I did I was a network engineer. I'm a I'm a, uh, I'm a, a, a Cisco certified instructor. I'm a Microsoft certified instructor. I I, I I worked on a lot of different types of projects, so my my knowledge base is very broad, uh, and so it's difficult sometimes for for. Something to get by me if I'm talking to somebody in IT, for instance, about firewalls. Well, I used to manage firewalls, so I know what they're talking about. I know when they're I know when they're shooting me a line, uh, and so having a broad base helps. Um, you know, you can start out with some of the basic uh, training that you can go through with, um, I don't know, A plus, Net plus, Security plus, those things. Uh, which are, you know, pretty broad based and not horribly detailed. Find out if that makes sense to you. And then the other thing is if, if you want to be a CISO, that's one thing. If you don't want to be a CISO, what part of information security do you want to to, to focus on? You know, uh, if you do want to be a CISO, then again, having that broad base helps a lot. Um, building your network, like you we were talking about a minute ago, helps a lot. Finding somebody who's been down that road like I have, like you have, that you can talk to. Uh, I first thing I ask is, is you know what really interests you, you know, and what do you you want me to mentor you? What do you want out of the relationship? Try to find out what's what's really on the top of their mind. And I've talked to people that I've, I've I've said really I I don't know that information security or at least CISO is really where you need to go. Um, but I, you, backgrounds, um, I've got, I mentioned a business analyst a minute ago. I'm working with another one now that I'm, that I'm coaching through that process of, uh, getting into information security and hopefully one day be a CISO. Um, I think he's got, I think he's got the makings of that. Um, I, 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 again, I try to be honest with the folks I mentor. If I, if I don't think they've got what it takes, I'll, I'll tell them that as well. Let me re let's refocus in a different direction. Broad background, much much knowledge you can gain, uh, big network, um, and then find a whether it's somebody you that mentors you or you pay them to be a coach or, or they're just somebody you trust, just somebody you're willing to talk to. But you need to have somebody um, that you can then lean on when you get confused when you're not sure if you've made the right decision or if you're looking at making a decision, somebody you can bounce that stuff off of and help you help guide your steps.
1: Well, I love that. And that's, that's great advice. Wes, I'm going to move you to the hot seat. Are you ready? Okay. I've got my buzzword, my famous buzzword graveyard that has so many buzzwords in it. Which buzzword would you bury?
0: Well, that that is that is a hard question. There's so many you want to get rid of. Used to play, you know, buzzword bingo, uh, conference calls yeah. and stuff. You know, um, this this one may bother some people, but AI is one to me. Everybody talks about AI, and I just you know, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I've, I, I I've, got just over. It is way overused. You know, you, you're, you're probably talking about machine learning that's supposed to AI uh, in a lot of cases anyway, but, but it's, it's, a, it's horribly overused and the folks who use it, I don't think understand what it really is. Um, I ran into a guy the other day that, that is uh, down at Georgia State. He's part of a group I'm associated with down there. And that's that's his doctorate thesis, his own AI. And he and I had a really interesting conversation about it. And I I came out of that more convinced than ever that people who talk about artificial intelligence don't know what artificial intelligence means.
1: I, so AI has been – we've got a pretty big headstone for AI as a lot of people's names are signed off on. We're happy you're buried here. Thanks so much. I think there's about 30, 31 names on that oh, list good. Okay. okay. of people that have been on the show that have said AI is, is a buzzword I'd love to get rid of. I agree. In fact, I have a rule of thumb as a CSO. When I jump on a call and someone says AI, my first question to them is always, so tell me about the level of intelligence that's been set up in this AI engine that it can do automatically. And then, you know, when they start stuttering, I go, Tell me how your AI works, and then when they say, "Well, it goes on learning mode for two weeks," I'm like, "That's literally the definition of machine learning." Machine learning. And mode. then I, I've got a quick link to what the definition of machine learning is, and I send that to the person in the chat, and I go, "So how about you don't use that ever, ever again?"
0: Sounds good
1: Touching to me. I mean, I'm not yeah. trying to be a, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, right? But I just feel like if, if your boss sends you in and says we're using AI you didn't do the research you didn't question it and other people haven't you know really given you a real challenge to it then you should probably ask yourself that question i completely agree by the way i think ai is excessively overused um, there are some products that use real ai and you, you know what they are because when when it's using ai it's eliminating a role it's not it's not becoming part of a process or or it's a, a, it, it's automating real ai automates and replaces mm-hmm. Machine learning provides context and data, but it's unable to automate. And that's the difference, right? So machine learning is going to give me a a functional playing field of a user's activities or of data behavior. AI is going to replace that analysis and give me standards that fit in its place uh, based on its intelligence.
0: And that's not a bad thing. I mean, people talk about, well, you know, you're going to call somebody a job. No, in the information security world, I got 200,000, 300,000 positions I need filled. Let AI do that level one sock stuff or whatever, whatever it's learned how to do. And let me take this guy and train him to do something else.
1: Let AI write my policies. I'm very happy yeah. if chat can write a policy. In fact, on, on, on the episode, I'm planning for uh, the week of Passover in April, I've played around with chat GBT and had it write up a bunch of infosec policies and we've looked those over. So it's a really, really kind of fun single episode. So you'll don't want to go anywhere. Check that out. Um, cool. What's, what's the last song you listened to before coming on the show?
0: Staggerly by who 19,
1: 1959. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. I think that's the, I, the, that's the farthest we've gone in music on the show. I've had 60s away, and but- 70s, not 50s.
0: Well, my sweet spot's from like late 50s to early 70s. And I, I was the littlest kid in my family. And so even when I was five years old, my sisters had music playing as so I was hearing all that stuff. Uh, I actually mm-hmm. ran across Staggerly the other day and, and added it to my playlist. And so I actually just heard it just before I sat down with you.
1: Love it. Um, are you reading or listening to a book now? And if so, what it is? what is it? Sorry. Actually, the,
0: the one I'm working on right now is called Steal the Show by Michael Port. OK, um, it is about speaking. I, I mentioned to you before we got on the air, uh, I, I do conference speaking I, I speak to companies and things and I'm trying to in, increase my presence there. And I'm also in the. I, I'm a good speaker, I'm told I want to be better. And that book and a, a conference I'm going to up in New Jersey uh, next month um, are designed to help you become the best speaker you can be. Uh, and so that's that's kind of that's what I'm reading, and I'm getting ready to to put it to some use.
1: Love it, um, Wes. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
0: You can hit me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's, and I'm Wes Knight uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, that'd be a great way. Um, or um, you can uh, contact Needling Worldwide. You know, if you just go to the website and tell them you want to talk to me, they'll put you in touch with me. Either one. All right. So I'll that'd put be the, the link, two best ways.
1: I'll put the link to us as LinkedIn in the show notes. That'd be so great. To that'd be great. Can, can connect. And I've, I've got that.
0: a calendar link. I, you know, if you, if you contact me, I'll give you my calendar link and you can find some, find some time on my calendar. We can talk. So always happy to do that.
1: Love it folks. The awesome, magnificent, always wise West night. You, you see
0: this back here, buddy? Yes. You, do you recognize that? I know it's kind of hard to see. It's, it's very hard to yeah, I mean, I see
1: a bold eagle. I see the American flag there.
0: That's the plaque you gave me at that. uh oh, that's right. At that. Com- yeah. No, it's right there it's on my, above my computer. Yeah. It's, it's, be, it's very hard to know see. that one, but that was, I appreciate that was, you. I appreciate that.
1: That was, I think that was a 9 2019 That was pre-pandemic.
0: Yeah, it was.
1: That's uh, uh, so, that was I appreciate a, that. That was a very special day. Um, that was, I think you were getting ready to retire that first time.
0: I was. See, all you got to do, do is say you're retiring and people start giving you stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so. it's uh, it, it's awesome. Um, love it. I, I was looking at it and it looked so familiar, um, but, but, you know, because of the light. Uh, yeah, I, I know. All right, folks, that's it for our awesome show today with the magnificent, amazing West Knight. You can obviously touch base with him in the show notes. His linked to his LinkedIn pages there. Uh, thanks you everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Wes, for coming on the show. Please make sure thanks to subscribe buddy. if you found value in this podcast. Sharing it is the number one way you can support us. You can also check out our website, cyberhubpodcast.com for all the latest content. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Cisco Talk podcast. Until then, great rest of your day and most importantly, stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.